0: Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you, so let's get to it. Well, we are in part six of our series called New Normal, and uh, it's really part like 16 in our series through the Gospel of Mark, which we're coming very close to. We're only like four or five weeks away from Easter, which is really hard for me to believe, uh, but that's actually where the series is going to be culminating uh, in the first week of April there. But as we continue this kind of series within a series, uh, we've looked at the, the things in which Jesus has turned upside down, that in his kingdom there is a new normal, that Jesus is completely counterintuitive, as my friend Garrett told me this week uh, as we looked at scriptures, that the world goes this way and Jesus says, well, now I'm going to flip that over and there's going to be a brand new way of looking at these things. And last week we looked at money and how Jesus looks at money and the world looks at money. And we say, what we got to do is we got to live for ourselves first, then we save with what's left over. And if there's anything left over, if a heart is really pricked, if, if the commercial is really sad, then we'll give some money to something. And Jesus says, no, you're doing it all wrong. In my kingdom, it's opposite. You give first, you save second, and then you live for yourself last. You go in that order. And the week before that, we looked at marriage and we looked at sexuality and how Jesus says, The world says this is all about you and your personal fulfillment, but I say actually it's about something bigger. It's about me and painting a picture to the world about who I am. And now here we are in the final part of this kind of counterintuitive thing where Jesus, in my opinion, is doing his best to get rid of every follower he has and just see who's going to stay. He talks about power. He talks about getting what we want. And Jesus looks at it in a very different way than I would say probably a lot of us, even in the church, look at Jesus in prayer. Uh, and Jesus is going to ask two people the same question in this text here. He's going to say, what do you want me to do for you? We see one group of people who misses the point. They're looking at Jesus, and they ask for the wrong thing. And then we see a, a guy who is a very unlikely candidate, who, asks, who when Jesus asks him the question, answers correctly. And I'll just start, as we start here, and I want to ask you, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Like right now, if Jesus was in front of you, and he, he, he said, "I'm going to do something for you. What would you ask Jesus of Nazareth to do for you?" And your answer will reveal a lot about who you view Jesus to be and who you view, what Jesus is suppo- how you view, rather, what Jesus is supposed to do for you in your life. And really the, the, the whole scheme of this, we're not going to be able to preach through this whole section. I believe it goes through chapter 12. And and what we're going to see in this whole section is that in the world, the way people use power, and we all know this, the way people use power is they lord it over people, right? You you want more power so that more people can serve you. That's why when you look at a company org chart, they put the, the employees at the bottom and it goes all the way up till you get to the CEO, the top guy. Everybody's supposed to serve up, 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 up. And the CEO is the one who has power to tell people what to do. And Jesus says, in my kingdom and in your life, the opposite is going to be true. If you want to be great, if you want to be at the top of the org chart, we're going to flip the org chart. That the CEO is the chief server of everybody on the way up. That in spiritual speaking, the pastor is not the one who is served by everybody else, but I should be the one laying down my life the most for everyone else. And, And if you want to be great at ascent, then you've got to be a servant at ascent. And in your own lives, instead of striving and fighting to be at the top so that you can have what you want, Jesus says, no, the way you actually get to the top of my kingdom... Is by allowing other people to have the glory and the fame while you serve. The one who serves the most is the one who's actually the greatest. Uh, I love Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote on this. He actually has a whole fantastic sermon on this text. And, and he says, truly, it, it's amazing because what Jesus is saying here is that anyone can be great. I don't know about you, but I look at the world sometimes and I'm like, I can't be great. <laughs> like, I don't do anything super exceptional. I, I, I went skiing for the first time yesterday with my wife and it was a disaster. I mean like there's like four year olds flying by me on these things and, and I can't even stay on my skis I'm not kidding you guys at least six times I'm not exaggerating I fell face forward just standing there <laughs> it's like what this is pathetic and, and I can look at the world and social media makes this so much worse <clears throat> sorry I'm a little bit sick you're gonna have to bear with me today <clears throat> it's not COVID uh, <laughs> everybody's like well we're gonna leave now uh I, I, you know, social media makes this so much worse because we see people who are better than us. You can always find somebody who's, who's gotten more than what you have. You can always find somebody who has more money, who's better looking, who can do this thing or that thing better. And, and we often think in our hearts, man, if I could just be great at something, then I would have it. But Martin Luther King Jr. says uh, what's amazing about what Jesus does here is he says that what Jesus is saying is that anybody can be great. That to be great, all you have to do is to be a servant. That to be great, you don't have to be super powerful. You don't have to be the president of the United States. You don't have to be the greatest athlete ever. But to be great, you can be great right where you are simply by being a servant. And what I love about Jesus, I'm about to jump into this text, but what I love about Jesus is that he comes as a carpenter. But in other words, Jesus, if he came in today's world, he probably would have just been like an accountant. He would have been something very normal, something like you and I. See, when I think of the God of this universe coming to earth to change the world, I think of Him coming as a king or a president or somebody really powerful. Like I think a lot of us think if Jesus were here today, He'd be running for president and we would vote Him into office. And yet, what Jesus does is actually the opposite. He comes as a a normal blue-collar worker. Jesus never, think about this, He never once writes down words of His own. He lives His entire life without trying to expand His ministry. He lives a normal life. It's only after his life that his disciples write down his sayings. But Jesus himself never once put a post out on social media to get his name out there. Jesus simply lived a life of ultimate service. I believe he does that to tell us we can do the exact same. See, Jesus can talk about my sexuality because he lived a celibate life. He's not a guy who has 12 wives saying, hey, you guys should live celibate. See, Jesus can talk about my money because he didn't come as a rich king. He came as a poor carpenter who was under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And you see, Jesus can talk about power and serving others because although he was the God of this universe deserving the rights of a king, he laid those rights down so that he might serve us in the world. And with that, I want to jump in as we're just going to walk through this text. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to look at the two people that he asked. What do you want me to do for you? Two groups of people. Let me pray for us, then we'll jump in. Father God, thank you that you've made a way for us to be great. God, thank you, Lord, that right where we are, we can make a difference in the world. That you've given us dominion over our area. And Lord, be with our selfish hearts. Transform them. Be with my selfish heart. Even as I stand up here on the stage, God, it, it can be so tempting for me to want to serve myself, <coughs> for me to want to view people as things to help further my life instead of seeking ways to further the lives of those around me. It can be hard for me not to hold grudges against people because they've done me wrong. It can be hard for me to extend the grace that you've extended to me. And yet, Lord, I want to be great. Lord, I want to be great as you were great. So I pray that you'd help me die to myself. You'd help me bear my cross so that I might be great in the way that you say is great. Lord, I pray for all of us that when the question is asked, what do you want me to do for you? We would answer with a, a humble question back to you, like the blind man at the end of today's story. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. This is right after Jesus has talked about money. Uh, and he says, it says this, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Now, it's important to know that we're in the part of the gospel where they're going to the cross, which gives everything kind of an irony about what's about to follow. He's literally leading his disciples to his death. Now, the disciples in their Jewish mind have a very different view of where things are going. They, they have been reading the Jewish scriptures, and they know the Messiah is supposed to be the king who brings Israel to power in all the world. So they think, we've got the Messiah. Jesus has been doing all this kind of weird lovey-dovey stuff. Uh, but now he's going to go and he's going to take the throne. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to throw out the religious leaders. We're going to throw out the Roman Empire. And Jesus is going to be in his kingdom. <laughs> Taylor, could you hand me that water? I'm sorry. I'm trying. I got like a, something stuck in my throat and it's not going away. I always feel like it's awkward when you've got to watch people drink water, but it was just, I, I, I couldn't do it. Uh, so they're on their way to the cross. And, uh, and, and when we see this, the disciples think that Jesus is coming to uh, put his, his kingdom into effect. And he is, but it's going to be a lot different than what they think it is. So they're on their way to the cross, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to them. So Jesus is trying to get them to understand what is happening is going to be opposite of what they think is going to happen. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, the Roman Empire. So there's there's two power structures. There's the religious Israelite structure, and then there's the, the power structure of the day, the Roman Empire. In verse 34, and it says, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. Now, the disciples don't get this because they don't want to. We've seen this. They've been totally ignorant to the suffering. They, they, they love the fact that Jesus says he's bringing a kingdom. There's going to be peace. There's going to be salvation. And they're like, Jesus, can we just skip the cross? Like, we don't want the cross in the center of what we have to do here. So they just purposely ignore what is being said. And as we go on, verse 35, we see this. James and John, two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, which I think is a cool name. If you're looking for a name for your kid, Zebedee should be kind of top of the list there. We need to bring that back. I'm not going to do it, but you should do it. <clears throat> Approached him and said, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. Which is kind of like, you know, like a little selfish kid, honestly. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we want you to what you What we want you to do, we want you to do it for us. Like Jesus is their genie. You know, like we're going to put some money in and you do it for us. Which, by the way, is the way a lot of us treat God, right? Like, like there's a lot of people who pray to God. Uh, because they want something from Him. And so they try to do the right things, like they're trying to turn knobs to get God to do what they want to do. So in other words, like, I need some more money, so I'm going to start going to church, or I'll give a little bit of money so that maybe God will show me a little more favor over here, or I'm going to try to pray in this specific way so I can try to tweak God. There's a whole line of Christianity that would say you have to have a certain amount of faith to get God to do something which they, I don't know how they quantify the amount of faith somebody has, but if something doesn't happen the way it was supposed to happen, it's because you didn't have enough faith on the faith meter with God. And, and this, is, this is all of us as human nature trying to what? Trying to manipulate God to do what we want Him to do. That we, we're not saying God is God and we're the servants of God, but that we're God and we want God to do what we want Him to do for us. And if He doesn't do what we want Him to do for us, we're going to go search somewhere else to get what we need to get done. And that's what we see here with James and John, but Jesus answers them. He says, "What do you want me to do for you?" He asks them. Verse thirty-seven. They answered him, "Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory." In other words, we're going to Jerusalem. You're going to take over, and we want to be at the right and the left of your throne. Jesus, we, we see we see the portrait right now. We just think it'd be really awesome. Yeah, you're the king. You're there. All that. That's great. But we're right next to you. Like we we get our own personal servants. They're feeding us grapes as they feed you grapes. I mean, we, we, we really want to be the top dogs. Don't tell the other ten, but, but we, we're kind of calling dibs on the seats right next to you. We want to be in your inner cabinet. You, know, you, you get to be the top dog, but we want to be right there next to you. And then Jesus said this. It's, it's so ironic, isn't it? Because he just told them what's about to happen to him. I'm going to be spit on, flogged, and mocked, and killed. And they're like, okay, yeah, but when you're on the throne, we want to be next to you on the throne. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? In other words, are are you able to go through what I just mentioned or do you just want the throne? Like, Are you able to go through the cross to get to the throne? And then verse 39, (laughs) we are able, they told him. It's like, these guys just don't get it. right?" Yeah, we we could do that, that cup, the drink, whatever, whatever you're talking about. We just want to be on the throne, man. Jesus said to them, "You will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with." And by the way, we know from church history that all of the disciples actually were killed for their faith in Christ. That this is a prophecy upon them that they don't even fully yet understand, but that they all would one by one be killed and tortured and exiled even because of their faith in Christ Jesus. They had to go through the suffering, the baptism of Jesus. And by the way, friends, the pathway to the life that you want, the pathway to the greatness that Jesus has for you will involve suffering. You can try to avoid it, go under it, go over it, go around it, but you'll never get to what God wants for you unless you go through the cross, unless you go through the crucible. That is the way. And we try to avoid that in every which way that we can. We try to get God to do things for us the way we want him to do it. But Jesus says, I'm going to lead you through some things that aren't going to feel great because it's going to make you to be the person I want you to be. And then it says, Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink. You'll be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And then he says this, but to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And what Mark does here is just beautiful writing because he, he's starting to build suspense. He says here, there will be somebody at the right and the left of Jesus on his throne. But he doesn't tell us who it is until we get to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 15, the crucifixion of Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus is being crucified. They make a crown of thorns for Him. They put it on His head. And on the back of it, to make fun of Him, it says, The King of the Jews. So they mock Jesus, and they drive nine-inch nails through both of His wrists and both of His feet. And then what does Mark add in for us? On His right and on His left were two criminals. See, Jesus isn't a king like this world's kings. His throne is not a comfortable, cushy throne. His throne is a cross. His crown is not one made out of gold, it's one made out of thorns. If you want to be on his right and his left, then as Jesus goes ahead of us, so we also sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. So we also sacrifice ourselves for the sake of the world. I know you're looking at me like, Blake, this doesn't sound very fun. And I know, I told you, during these three weeks, Jesus is really trying to get you to count the cost of what you're signing up for. That Jesus says, through me, you will experience eternal life. Through me, you will find a peace that this world cannot offer. Through me, you will know a purpose that you have never known before. You will be connected to the ultimate purpose of the world. And through me, you will live a life that is truly fulfilling. But you have to understand, friends, that with me comes also suffering. That with me, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to the things that you want of yourself so that the other people in your life can be loved. That in other words, I have got to love my wife. I've got to lay down my life and see her as more valuable than I even see myself. That that I have to see you ascent as your leader because God has given me this power. I don't get to use it so that you guys make me, my life easier the way I want it to be easier. But God has given me this power so that I can serve you. And whatever power God has given you, whether that be as a parent, whether that be as an employer, whatever it is in your life, you need to understand that the reason God gave you that authority it's not for your own sake, but so that you can serve those around you. See, Jesus' cross is his throne. The ones on the right and the ones on the left are those being crucified with him. Verse 41, when the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. They're mad. James and John, you weren't allowed to call dibs on that. We wanted that. They started arguing about, wait, why do they get the throne? Why do they get to be baptized with the baptism that you have? Whatever that means. And then Jesus says this. He gathers them all right. He says, boys, come here. Come in a circle. Jesus called them over and and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. Which, like I said, is true in this world as well. Like those who are up in power often try to use that power to lord it over people. We see this in government all of the time. Do we not? Like politics is, we all know, I'm not saying that there's not any good people in politics because there are. I'm not saying that politics is not a calling for some people because it needs to be. We need more good people serving uh, our public service and, and policies and, and all sorts of good things there. But we also know that there is a lot of people who are just out for themselves when it comes to the power in politics. That the, the more we go up the scale, the more corruption we tend to find. I think we all kind of inherently know that there's some things going on that we probably don't even want to know about Because the people in power will do anything they can to keep themselves in power. That the people in power will act like they're serving the mass public, but all that really happens over generations is that new people come to power, and the people who are oppressed and at the bottom stay at the bottom, and they stay oppressed. It's because the people in power don't actually want to serve those people. They want to be served by the people. And Jesus says, look at me. I'm starting something brand new, and you boys get to be a part of it. It's going to spread. One day there's going to be a church in Woodward, Oklahoma. What's Oklahoma? Don't worry about it. There's not much there. But one day there's going to be a church. Walmart and a bunch of Mexican restaurants. One day there's going to be a church in Woodward, Oklahoma and they're going to be a part of this community. We're going to be serving the world. He said, but with your power you're not going to do it like the world does power. Those at the top are the ones who serve the most. Jesus goes before us as the Savior of the world. And we see that here as we look. Verse 43. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, the new normal, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's truly amazing when you think about the vocation or the job of Jesus, that He came to die for our sins. He came to make a way for us to be connected to the God of this universe. Our sins separated us from God. This world that's a mess, we all talk about how big of a mess this world is. I hear everybody saying, I can't believe my kids are going to grow up in this world. You know who created this mess? We did collectively. I know we all want to think somebody else did it, but collectively we messed this world up. And it's not even our world to mess up. In fact, if you read chapter 12 this week, and I would encourage you to do it, Jesus tells a parable about a a farmer who leases out his land to other people to take care of it, and they ruin it. And the farmer tries to come back and and tell the people to correct it. But every time somebody would come back and try to correct what was going on, they would kill the person. This is Jesus really saying to the religious leaders, This is what you've done to my prophets that you have ruined the world. And every time I've sent somebody to tell you how to turn things back so that the, the poor are loved, so that there is grace for those who need it, where there's mercy the way in God, the way in which God would give mercy to others. And all of those different ways, every time somebody has come to try to correct the ship, you end up killing that person. And it ends with saying, even the sun came and the farmers killed the sun so that they could hold on to their power. And we have all done this. My friends... If we were to look at the world as a painting and God as the master painter and we mess up the painting, it's as if Michelangelo was sculpting something and he had started a sculpture and then he said to you, now I've got to go, but I want you to finish the sculpture the way I would finish the sculpture and you mess the whole sculpture up. The God of this universe had every right in the world to end it all. I don't know if you know this or not, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He is completely self-satisfying. And yet he wants relationship with me. He wants relationship with you. So he comes back to this sculpture that is messed up. And instead of abolishing or pouring out his wrath on all of creation as we deserved, what does he do? He sends his son to make a new way for us. Jesus comes, the God of this universe, every right to say, look at what you've done. And yet he comes not as one to be served, but as a servant showing us a better way to live, and even living the life we could not live and dying the death we deserve to die so that my sins were nailed to that cross on Calvary. I don't have to live in shame and condemnation and guilt anymore because it's finished. It's really honestly finished. And from a place of love and grace, I can then begin to go forth and live the life that God has always called me to live, the life of service that Jesus not only told me to do, but he lived it himself. And as we go on, we see the prayer. The second time, Jesus asks somebody what he wants them to do for him. And this I pray. I want you all to zone in. This is what I pray is our prayer. See, we have enough of the prayers of telling God what we want him to do for us to serve our kingdom. We need more of the kind of prayers we're about to see here. Verse 46. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timis, a blind beggar, was sitting on the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more. Have mercy on me, son of David. I love this picture because most kings would walk by this type of person, would they not? Like everybody, this guy, this is Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem to take his throne and this blind beggar, This guy who doesn't have anything is on the side of the road. He probably smells bad, and he's crying out. He's annoying everybody. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the people are like, hush. He's got greater things than you to go on to. And yet, how does Jesus respond to this blind beggar? says, Jesus stopped. I don't know. I just think that's one of the most beautiful verses in the Gospel of Mark. It really struck me this week. Jesus, on his way to the mission of literally saving the world, Guys, my mission every day is nowhere near saving the world. And I find it hard to stop for those in need. I'll just be honest with you. Like when I'm in a hurry to get somewhere, and I've got to get to the office, I've got a meeting, I've got something, and I see somebody who needs something, I drive right by them. I can't count on the, the, my hand maybe two or three times that I've actually stopped and helped somebody. Because I'm always worried about my agenda and what's going on. But here's the Savior of the world, and He stops for a blind beggar, and said, call him. So they called the blind beggar and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Now remember earlier in chapter 10, there was a rich young ruler, and he couldn't follow Jesus. Why? Because he couldn't get rid of his possessions. He wasn't willing to to let go of the things he had. Here we see a blind beggar who doesn't have much, and what does he do? He throws off his cloak. He throws off the only thing he owns to follow Jesus. The only thing that he has at all. And he says, I give it up for you, Jesus. I just wonder which one would describe us more. And then it says, then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Same question he asked of the disciples. Rabboni, which is like a really intimate way of saying teacher, rabbi. The blind man said to him, I want to see Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and begin to follow Jesus on the road. Molly, if you want to go ahead and come up. I pray that all of our prayers would be more prayers like, I want to see. See, it's, it's vastly different if you're going through a suffering to say, Jesus, take this suffering away, please, and trying to give money so God will take your suffering away like he's a genie. And on the reverse of that, saying, Jesus, I trust you. I have no idea what's going on in my life right now, but I want to see. God, I need guidance for today so that I might follow you. See, it's very different in, in your business praying, God, would you please give me this amount of money? Or in your job, God, would you please open a door for this kind of uh, avenue for me to make this amount of money? Versus, God, I am where I am right now, and I want to see what you would have for my life. God, I, w- I want to see what you want to do. See, there's prayers of telling God what to do, and there's prayers of asking God for guidance. And what we see here is if we're going to be people of a New Testament church living for Jesus day in and day out, we have to be people who are relying upon Jesus to help us see. Help us see the selfishness in our own heart. Help us see what our next step is. Prayers of clarity over prayers of asking for things. And I'm not saying there's not a place to ask God for things boldly. I think we should do that. But we also should be submitted to his will and whatever it is he has for us. That that instead of trying to get God to do what we want him to do and then getting mad that he's not doing what we're wanting him to do, to say, God, this is what you're doing. What do you want me to do in light of this? That your marriage isn't the way you want it to be. That your money isn't the way you want it to be. That whatever else, we all have things in our life that aren't going the way we want it to be. Instead of trying to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do for us, saying, God, what do you want me to do in light of this? What are you trying to teach me to do? Because I trust in you. I don't know where this road leads, but I know I don't want to follow anybody else except for you. I'm willing to let go of everything else in my life to make you the Lord of my life and follow after you. Jesus says eternal life is for those people. Jesus says what I'm selling here is not an easy sell, and I get that. What I'm selling here is going to cost you something. And honestly, if you have a lot of stuff, it's going to be really hard for you to follow me. Because you're going to have to love me more than all of those things. But if you can get to the position of the blind beggar saying, everything I have pales in comparison to Jesus. And I might not always understand where I'm going or what I'm doing. I know that he's always going to be ahead of me. I know that everything he's asking me to do, he's done it times 10. And he's done it for me. I know that there's grace when I fall and when I stumble. But I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other as I follow Jesus on this journey. Friends, I pray in the new normal, you would take the words of Jesus seriously. Please don't be the type of person who thinks you know more than God. And I know that 90% of us are those types of people that we, we want to make God into who we want him to be, fashioning him into our image instead of allowing us to be made into the image of God. And I'm just going to tell you, in your money, in your marriages, and in your pursuit of power, please, friends, please follow the example of Jesus. Make him the Lord, the leader of your life as you seek after him. I want you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, these are hard words. They're hard for me because, uh, Lord, as I preach this message, I know the selfishness in my own heart. I know the areas in which I fall short all the time, the areas I've fallen short this week. And yet, Lord, there's grace. There's forgiveness for those who trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would not let that grace be the kind of grace that excuses us from our role in loving others, but that it would empower us to see our lives as important. That we don't have to be the president of the United States to change the world, but we can change the world right from where we are simply by serving others. We can be great simply by loving others more than we love ourselves. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to people today. Lead them, show them, God, the areas of selfishness in their own hearts that they might repent and love you and love others more. Right now, friends, with your eyes closed and head spout, I want you to take just about 20 seconds and say, Heavenly Father, what are you saying to me through this message? And listen. Listen. Father God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey all that you've asked us to do. Pray that this wouldn't just be a message that we forget, but God, that it would be ingrained in our minds that we exist to serve others first. We're flipping it on our head, on its head. We're not, we're not seeking power for the good of ourselves, but we, we use the power you've already given us for the good of others. Jesus, we love you. Amen. Let's stand and praise this God, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.